0: How are we doing this morning? Great. Hey, my name is Daniel Norris. I serve as the campus pastor here, and I am excited to be with you today as we continue this journey through the book of Jude in this series that we're wrapping up called Wolves Among Us. I want to welcome those of you joining us online. We are so glad that you guys are joining us as well. Here's what I want you to do if you're joining us online. Uh, y'all just hold with, hang on with me for just a second, all right? Those of you watching online, if you will just... Share the link with your friends, invite your sphere of influence. You never know who's out there that might need to hear this message today as we open up God's word. And so again, we're excited to be here with you today today, as we're wrapping this all up. How many of you have been here for the last few weeks in the series of Jude that we've been in, Wolves Among Us? Man, it has been incredible. We've been walking through this short but powerful book one chapter letter by Jesus' half brother Jude, and I, I've got to be honest, Jude is a tough and challenging letter. Is it not? I mean, I don't. I, I love it because here's what I've come to know about Jude and James, Jesus' half brothers. Man, they don't. They don't mince words. They don't sugarcoat it. They don't tiptoe around it. They just come straight at you right out of the gate and they just tell it like it is. And that's what we've experienced over the last several weeks. Jude doesn't paint some false picture for us of the Christian life that we have this um, road ahead of us that's paved with uh, roses and flowers and butterflies along the way. No, he looks at us and very plainly tells us that this thing called the Christian life is going to be challenging. It's going to be difficult. There are going to be those who oppose it, those who come against it, those that despise it, those that want to deceive you and destroy you. They're the ones that we've been talking about, the apostates, the wolves among us. He says, listen, there are going to be many trials and many obstacles and many challenges along the way, but don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't be deceived. Build yourselves up. Fight for the faith. Contend for the faith and keep going no matter what. As a former track and field athlete, man, I absolutely love the Olympics. And so as you can imagine, I am beyond excited. How many of you watch the opening ceremonies of the Olympics? Yeah, let me see a show of hands. The rest of you need to get saved. (laughs) There is something wrong with you. I'm glad those of you watching at home, you're with me. You watched it. You're raising your hands. The rest of you in this room, I'm going to start praying for you. I'm going to pray that you'll get saved Today. And that over the next several weeks, as we watch our country participate uh, in one of the greatest sporting events around the world, that you guys will tune in and cheer those athletes on. Here's why I love the Olympics so much. I love hearing the stories behind the athletes, like who they are, where they come from, what they've had to overcome just to get there, the the obstacles, the challenges, the difficult things that they've had to face just to be a part of the games. I love the fighting spirit and the perseverance that we see in these athletes. I I was reminded of a guy from a few years ago this week that I watched when I was younger, and I'm gonna tell him my age a little bit. There's a guy named Derek Redmond, he was a British 400 meter champion and that was the race that I grew up loving and ran through high school and college. And so I would always wanna watch the, the quarter, the, the 400 meters and the mile relay and all those races. And Derek Redmond was a beast. He was the, the British champion, he's running in the 90s, he's qualified for the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. He's finally there. And he is the favorite. He is, he's won gold several times. He's won world championships. And then on this day in the semifinals in Barcelona at the Olympics, the unexpected happens. I want you to check this out. This is life, is it not? I mean, we start off and we're running down the road and things seem to be going well until it's not, until we find ourselves tripping and stumbling and falling and face down on the ground wondering, how did I get here? And asking ourselves, do I have what it takes to get up and keep going? Jude, in his letter knows all of this too well. He knows this life for the believer is not some short, easy little jog or some short 100-meter sprint. No, Jude knows that this thing called the Christian life is actually more like a Spartan race and Hunger Games combined. If you know what a Spartan race is and you know what Hunger Games are, then you know what I'm talking about that it is hard, it is painful, it is difficult. Every time I come around a corner, there's another obstacle, another barrier, and there's also those who'd want to come against me to deceive me and destroy me and harm me. And Jude addresses all of those things in this letter. And as he writes this letter, he wants us to know that there is hope that no matter what you come up against, God is able. So you and I, as the beloved, as the believers, we need to get up and keep going, keep fighting, keep holding on, keep holding to our faith and finish strong. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Jude chapter one, because there's only one chapter. It's all the way back at the, in the back of the Bible. You should know it by now if you've been here this summer. But one chapter, short, condensed, powerful letter from the half-brother of Jesus. We're going to be in verses 24 and 25 this morning as he wraps up his letter to the saints. Verse 24, this is what Jude says. He says, now to him who is able These two verses that we just read in Jude are called a doxology. How many of you have ever heard the word doxology? A doxology, if you've been in church world or you grew up in a a church, a lot of times some churches will sing a doxology at the end of their service or they will pronounce a doxology as they get up and leave that place. But here's what a doxology is. A doxology is two Greek words, The first word is doxa, and that equals praise. And the second word is logos, which equals word. And so what you have in a doxology is a word of praise to God. So a doxology is a word of praise. And so many of the authors of the Bible would wrap up their letters with a doxology saying, this is who our God is. This is what he has done. There is no one like our God. And they would break into praise as they wrapped up their letter. The Bible is has many many doxologies all the way through it in the the entire book of Psalms is broken into five sections out of the 150 chapters. And at every at the end of every of all of those five sections there's a doxology. When you get into the New Testament, there are 21 doxologies throughout the New Testament. And this is one of them. And this doxology at the end of Jude has been described by theologians as one of the fullest and most beautiful doxologies in all of Scripture. And so you might want to circle it. You might want to highlight it. You might want to put a star beside it. You see the purpose of Jude's doxology is not just to wrap up his letter and put a bow on it and give you and I just a nice ending to the things that he's been saying not at all. Jude chose these last few words very intentionally and on purpose. You know, a lot of, a lot has been said about someone's final words. The final words that you say carry a lot of weight. Parents, you might know what I'm talking about. Let me, let me give you an example of this. Like for me at my house, when my boys are about to go somewhere with their friends, right before they walk out of the door, I say, hey, look at me. Let me tell you something. You better use your manners. You better behave yourself. Or when you get home, I'll let you guys imagine what I say after that. So our last words carry weight. These are Jude's last words, and they carry a lot of weight for the believers. You see, Jude wants to assure his readers then and now that no matter what you're going through, No matter how hard things are, no matter how many times you fall down, God is able. Amen. God is able and he will finish what he started. The one who began the good work in you will see it through to completion in the words of Paul. So Jude wants us to know that even though there are those who have wandered from the faith, those who really never belonged in the first place, those who are deceivers and liars and destroyers, those who want to drag you away from the faith, that even though you're facing those things and even though you will face many other things in the future, he wants you to know if you are in the beloved, and notice I said if, if you are saved, If you belong to Christ, then he wants you to know that God is able. He's able to do what you cannot do. He's able to finish what he started. There's several other passages in the scripture that talk about God being able. In fact, we have one that we pray and and write prayer requests down all the time in Ephesians 3.20. Can any of you say, says, what does it say in Ephesians 3.20? That God is able to do what? Immeasurably more than you and I could even begin to imagine or even know to ask, right? And when we pray to the God who is able, we are asking him in his sovereignty to do more than we could even begin to imagine, more than we even know to ask. And so as we dive into this word that we see in Jude, here's what I'm praying for every single one of us in this room and those watching online, that God would do immeasurably more in the next few moments. That he would do more than you and I even know or imagine to ask him to do. That he is God, he is able, he sees and knows all things. Scripture tells us that he searches the heart of every man, woman and child He's the one who fashioned your heart. He knows you by name. He knows where you're at. He knows what you're struggling with. He knows what you're going through and he cares. And so I'm asking him in his sufficiency and his supremacy that over the next few moments, as we dive into this, that he would do more than I could even begin to imagine. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are God and you are God alone and that you are more than able. Father, I'm praying for those under the sound of my voice right now. God, that you would pour out your spirit, that you would open blind eyes, that you would open deaf ears and that your word would fall upon hardened hearts and that you would save those who are far from you. God, we know you're able. And so we're asking you to move in Jesus name and all of God's people said Amen. You see, most of Jude's letter has been all about them. Those guys, the apostates, the, the wolves, the false teachers. He opens up with just an opening phrase in verse one, two, and three, and he's saying, Hey, to the dearly beloved, I wanted to write to you about our salvation, this amazing thing that God has done through his son, Jesus Christ. And he says, But I thought it more fitting that I should address this issue. I I don't want to sugarcoat it. I don't want to pretend that it's not there. I want you to be aware that there are those who have snuck in the back door that seek to deceive and destroy you, to lead you astray from the true gospel. And so he goes into this, this letter over the next 23 verses talking about them But in these last two verses that we just read, he wants us to get our eyes off of them and get our eyes on him. So this morning, it's not about them. It's about him, who he is, what he's done. You see, the power to persevere is found in the power of the gospel. That's exactly what Jude's doxology, this word of praise to God is all about. It's about the saving and sustaining power of God through his son, Jesus. And in these final two verses, Jude gives us three promises. Three promises for those of us who are in the beloved, those of us who belong to Christ. And let me just tell you this morning, if you're here and you are in Christ, meaning you have seen him for who he is, you have seen yourself for who you are, you have believed in him and you repented of your sins, then it says that you are saved. It says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, you will What did I say? You will. Not maybe, not if you're good enough, not if you come to church enough, not if you memorize enough scripture. But Paul says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Aren't you thankful for that promise this morning? Now, let me tell let me talk to the rest of you. If you're watching online or in this room. If you're not in Christ, these promises that we're about to discuss over the next few moments, they're available to you through him. If you're not in the family, if you're not part of the beloved who Jude is writing to, I want you to know you can be. This morning can be the day where you are adopted into the family of God because you believe and confess and you follow after Jesus. So if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this first thing down that we see in the last two verses of Jude. The first promise of God that we see in verse 24 and 25 is this. He protects us. Those of us who are the beloved, those of us who have been saved, he protects us. Now, I want to do something a little bit different. We're going to skip 24 for just a moment, jump to verse 25. Here's what verse 25 says. To the only God, our Savior. To the only God, our Savior. Right out of the gate, Jude wants us to know that God is able to save But as he writes this, I want you to remember what we talked about a few weeks ago. Jude is the half brother of Jesus. And so you and I know a thing or two about sibling rivalries, do we not? James, Jude, and Jesus. Now I don't know about you, but it would be, I have a couple of brothers. It would be a very hard thing for me to, to look at you and go, hey, my brother right there, that's my bro. He is God. Right? It would be hard enough to go, oh, they're godly, let alone, no, he is God. I don't think this is, I know this is not a coincidence. This is not an accident. Jude strategically puts those words there. A lot of times all through scripture, you see Jesus, our Savior, but right here, Jude says, to the only God, our Savior he is making a bold declaration and statement about the divine nature of his brother, Jesus. He's saying, he's Savior because he's God. My brother left heaven, stepped down onto earth. He was God in the flesh. He is God and he is our Savior. Now the Bible, as you go throughout the Bible, you you see salvation in three tenses. Here's what I mean by that. You've probably heard people say this before. You have been saved. You are being saved. And you will be saved. Here's here's what that means. That you have been saved is that Jesus saved you from the penalty and the punishment of your sin in the past when he hung on the cross and paid your penalty in full. So you have been saved in the past because of what Jesus did when He took your place on the cross. He paid the penalty. In fact, it says this in 1 John 2 2 that He is the propitiation for our sins. That's a strange word, but here's what that means. He paid the penalty, he paid the price, he paid the bill, he stood in your place. He paid the debt that you owed or that you would someday owe for all of your sins. You will be saved, or you are being saved, present tense, from the power of sin. So you have been saved from the penalty of sin. You are being saved from the power of sin in your life. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, He gives you His Spirit. His spirit now lives and dwells in you. So at the moment of salvation, you are fully justified. So God looks at you and he no longer sees all of your sins. In fact, the word justified is this. He sees you just as if you've never sinned because he sees his son in your place. Now, you're being saved from the power of your sin, which means, is there anyone in this room that still sins? Y'all better get your hands up because by not raising your hands, you're sinning. So just go ahead and raise it. Don't lie. We're in church. Okay, those online are raising their hand. So listen, the moment you are saved does not mean that you will no longer struggle in sin. The moment you are saved, you are justified. And from that moment on, it begins a process of progressive sanctification. And I know I'm using a, a bunch of big churchy words, but here's what that is. You are being shaped slowly, one day at a time, one step at a time, one mistake at a time, into the image of Christ as you follow after him. And hopefully, by the end, you look a lot more like him when you get there. It is progressive. It is sanctification. It is Jesus, in the power of his Holy Spirit, setting you free from the power of sin in your life on a daily basis. 1 John 1, 9 tells us this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and all unrighteousness. And then there's this fact that you will be saved in the future from the very presence of sin in your life. So there should always be a sign over every believer's life that says this, under construction. You, me, we, all of us, the moment we enter into that saving relationship with Jesus, a big banner and sign goes up over your life that says under construction. And it is not complete until you enter into glory. And in that moment, here's what happens The presence of sin is completely removed from you forever and ever. You are glorified, holy, righteous, and pure and perfect in every way. That's going to be an incredible day. I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to that day when I no longer struggle with this thing called sin. You see, Romans 5, 9 says this. It says, since therefore we have been justified, there's that word, by his blood, how much more then shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God? So thank God that if we are in Christ, we have been fully justified, declared not guilty. He is changing us and shaping us and helping us become more and more like his son. And then when we get there, everything is perfect because all sin in his presence has been erased. There's no longer any sin in our life. And the wrath of God is no longer on us. It is removed completely. Now, here's what you need to hear. If you are not in the family of God, if you are not in Christ, it says that the full weight and the full wrath of God remains on you. Meaning, you have not been saved, you're not being saved, and you will not be saved. When you stand before him someday, and everyone will, he will not see the holy perfection of his son covering you, standing in your place. You will stand in your own merit and your own accord and you will give an answer for everything you've done. I don't know about you, but that sounds horrifying. I do not want to stand before a holy and perfect and righteous and all powerful all-knowing god in my own strength in my own effort i don't want to stand before in fact you wouldn't stand we're going to talk about that here in just a moment so when we enter in to the beloved he protects us from the power of sin he did for us what we could never do for ourselves he is an incredible Savior. Second thing is this that this is the second promise for those who are in the beloved. It says that He protects us. He not only protects us, but now He preserves us. Verse 24, if you have your Bibles, look what it says. It says, Now to Him, who? To Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. You see, he is able. How many of you believe this morning that God is able? I guess I'm all alone up here. You believe that he's able? Let me hear you say, say, he's able. able. He is able to keep you, listen, because he is perfectly faithful, supremely powerful, and infinitely loving towards you. Jesus taught that God is sovereignly secure. That he is able to sovereignly secure and preserve all who believe. Listen what John chapter six, verse 37 through 40 says. It says, all that, all that the father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes, what is that? And believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. You see... He is able to keep you, to preserve you, to keep you, to hold you. That word keep, it is a military term that means to guard, to watch over you, to watch over your very life. It is God at his post guarding you 24-7, around the clock. He is the one Keeps you. I know you're. Some of you are probably sitting here, especially if you were here last week or watched online. What about verse twenty-one? Just look right up above where we're at. Verse twenty-one, where it says that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. Listen, this is this is that thing where you and I. We enter into this relationship with him and we have been saved and we are being saved daily from the power of sin in our life. But I've just got to confess to you right now, no matter how hard I try to keep myself in the love of God, in other words, uh, no matter how hard I try to hold on to him daily... It never fails that my grip begins to weaken. Here's what I mean. No matter how hard I try to hold on to him and to keep myself in the love of God, there's days that as my grip begins to weaken, I find myself stumbling, tripping and falling over these things called sin. Any of you with me? And so no matter how hard I try, I can't hold on to him. And I thank God that he's holding on to me as well. Let me, let me, let me paint a picture for you. I can remember uh, as a few years ago, my, son, my oldest son Brock just turned 12 last week. So when he was about 18 months to, I don't know, two years old, uh, only child that we had had up to that point, I'm walking around the neighborhood with him. He's kind of holding on to my fingers with his little bitty toddler hands. And we're walking on the sidewalk to go see a friend at a neighbor's house. And all of a sudden, in that Florida heat and humidity, a little bit like East Texas, I feel his little hand slip out of my grip and he tries to run faster than his body can keep up. Any of you know what I'm talking about? His little legs couldn't keep up with how fast he wanted to go. And he's wearing these little rubber shoes called Crocs. And those things out of there of the devil, they'll trip you no matter what. He's running down the sidewalk and I can see it. And before I can get to him, man, he is on the pavement, face down, skin up, chin, elbows, knees, bleeding, crying. And in that moment as a father, I felt like such a failure. Like, man, I could not get to him. I could not hold on to him. I could not keep him. My grip weakened and he got away and he slipped out of my hand. Look at me and listen to me just for a few moments. I know I'm not alone in this. Like, I know for us as believers, there are moments, lots of moments in our lives where we try to hold on with everything that we have. We try to keep ourselves in the love of God on a daily basis. And no matter what we do, it seems like our grip weakens and we begin to slip and we find ourselves slipping and falling down and lying face down on the ground, skin up and bleeding. And in those moments when we're down, inevitably, here's what happens. The enemy gets down there. And he begins to whisper in your ear. And he says, Look at you. You fell again. You're pathetic. I can't believe you would fall for that again. I don't even think you're saved. You're not a Christian. You should just give up, stay down, and quit. Even as a pastor, let me just tell you this. There have been moments, lots of moments, after running and chasing after Christ for almost 20 years now, there are still days where my grip weakens. I find myself face down again, tripping and falling over sin. And even on some Sunday mornings when I'm sitting over there and Pastor Todd is preaching, I'm going, man, I think I need to be saved I question my salvation, I have doubts, I have fears. And I'm so thankful that when I'm down, skin up and bleeding, falling for the thousandth time, that just like I did with my son on that day where I ran and grabbed him and swooped him up and picked him up, I whispered in his ear, hey buddy, I love you, I'm so sorry. I'm thankful that you and I have a father That no matter how many times we fall, he scoops us up. He whispers in our ear, you're mine. He holds us tight and he says, I love you. I'm not letting you go. I will keep you in my arms safe. When you can't hold on, I'm holding on to you. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? That no matter what, we have a father that's holding on to us even when we can't hold on to him. Look what Jesus says in John 10. He says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one, who, no one. who, no one. no one will snatch them out of my hand. You See, no one can snatch you out of the shepherd's hand. He holds you. He keeps you. And you are safe and secure in the Savior's hands. Look back at Jude 1. At the very beginning of this letter, as he opened it up, here's what he said. He said, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. Do you see it? Jude ends the same way he begins. This is a beginning to end promise that he will keep you. Philippians 1.6, Paul says this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, it's not up to you. You didn't save yourself. You can't sustain yourself. It is by the power of Christ alone that you are even saved or even remain saved. He is the one that saved you and he is the one that sustained you and he is the one that is holding on to you and will never let go no matter how many times you fail. I don't know about you, but that's worth celebrating this morning. That no matter what, no matter what I do, no matter how many times I fall, I have a savior that will scoop me up and hold me tight and will let me know that I am his and that no one will take me out of his Hands, You see, whatever God starts, he finishes. God will never look at your life or your life or your life or my life and throw in the towel and say, I'm done. He will never look at you and say, I can't believe you did it again. I'm so sick and tired of you losing your grip, stumbling and falling and making these mistakes. I can't stand it. I can't take it anymore. I'm done with you. That's what we would do. But he's not us. He says, I will never quit on you. In fact, he says, I proved it once and for all when I showed you how far I was willing to go to rescue you from your sin when you didn't even know you needed rescuing. He says, the day that they nailed me to the cross proved it once and for all that I would rather die than live without you. He paid the price for you and me. He paid the price in full to preserve us. He gave his life for each and every one of us. And here's the third promise, is that someday, because he has protected us and he has preserved us, he will present us. Verse 24 says this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, You see, God is able to keep you from falling down here and he is able to present you blameless up there. There is a play on words here. The, The word present literally means to make you stand. So the God who is able to keep you from falling is the same God that is able to make you stand blameless in his presence Someday. Amen. Romans 5.2 says this. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. You see, currently, we stand in grace. Aren't you thankful for that? In other words, you don't get what you deserve. Instead, you get grace. Wow. But there's coming a day where you will stand in glory. Aren't you thankful for that this morning? Right now, grace, then glory. In the presence of God, completely blameless. You see, fallen, sinful men cannot stand in God's glory. In fact, the very thought of it brings sheer terror to their hearts and minds. In fact, uh, Ezekiel or Isaiah said, woe is me when he saw the Lord. He said, I'm a a sinner. I'm a man of unclean lips. And he fell down. He couldn't even look upon the Lord. Ezekiel, it says that he fell over like a dead person. Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was transformed and they saw him in his glory, They were overwhelmed with fear. You see, in the presence of his glory, each of these men, here's what happened. They felt the weight of their sinfulness, and each of them fell to the ground, overwhelmed by their unworthiness to stand in his presence. Psalm 1-5 says this, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous Only God is able to make you stand before him blameless through the power and perfection of his son. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says this, you, meaning you and I, we were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but listen to this, with the precious blood of Christ, that like that of a lamb without a blemish or a spot. In other words, Jesus, the holy lamb of God, that's what John the Baptist said when he saw him walking that day. He says, behold, it's the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, I'm not even fit to tie his shoes or touch his sandals. He is God in the flesh. I can't stand in his presence. That Jesus blameless, holy, perfect, took yours in my place on the cross and shed every ounce of his blood. That by the remission, by the shedding of his blood, we might have the remission of our sins. We might have our sins washed clean. See, all who are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you receive his righteousness. In other words, Martin Luther calls it the greatest exchange that has ever happened. You and I get to trade all of our brokenness, all of our guilt, all of our sin, and all of our shame. When we come to him, we get to make a trade and we get to say, here, Jesus, take it all. I don't want any more of it. I don't want want the guilt. I don't want the sin. I don't want the shame. I don't want any of it. I'm giving it to you. Please forgive me. And he says, I'll take it. And instead, he gives us his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection. And that is what God sees when he sees you and me. He sees the righteousness of his son. Even though you and I are far from blameless, even though you and I, the Bible tells us, deserve death he died in our place the easiest way to re- realize and remember the power of the gospel is the power to persevere it is this it is jesus in my place he took my place on the cross he died for me so that i would never have to, to die and pay for those sins i couldn't pay for it anyways and that i might be able to live with him someday forever in Heaven. Listen to what Ephesians 1.4 says as we get ready to wrap this up. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. That's why we can say with the old hymn writer with this, that when, when he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found Dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. That's good news, isn't it? I know we don't sing those as often as some of you used to, but man, every time Pastor Zeke breaks into one of those hymns, the truth of it just grabs your heart. It says, man, that that is a reality. That is what's going to happen someday. God himself will present you before his glory, blameless, and don't miss this, and with great joy. See, this great joy that it talks about right there in Jude, it'll be the most joyful thing you and I have ever experienced. It is beyond words, beyond description, that you and I will stand blameless before the throne in the presence of his glory. But listen to this. It's not just for those of us being presented. It is also for the one who is presenting us. Hebrews 12, 2 calls Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Did you see that? For the joy, everybody say joy. joy. For the joy... Jesus moved towards and endured the cross. It was the joy of presenting you and I blameless before the presence of his glory. The joy of presenting us is what drove him to endure the cross. So on those days when you begin to, to doubt and question and wonder, Am I saved? Do I have what it takes? Why do I keep struggling? Why do I keep falling? And the enemy gets down and begins to whisper in your ear. I want you to remember this. You are his joy. The author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, which was you and me and everyone that is in him. I believe Jesus hung on the cross and what kept him there was that he could see you and me. He could look down the corridor of time and he said, they are my joy and they are worth it. And I am willing to die in their place so that someday I will present them blameless in all of my glory with great joy. So he protects us. He preserves us. Someday he will present us. And because of all of that, we will praise him forever. Look what it says in verse 25. Now, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is the only place in scripture where those four attributes of God are mentioned all together. This list of divine perfections declare that God is worthy of our highest praise. You see, glory is more than just an attribute of God. It is the sum total of his divine perfections. It is the crushing weight of his character and the blinding light of his presence. It is his glory. It is who he is. Listen to what Warren Wearsby says. He says this, when we praise God, we praise the most magnificent person in the universe. He is not simply king. He is king of kings, meaning there's no other king above him. He is not simply Lord. He is Lord of lords. There are no lords above him. He is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And here's what you need to be able to answer before you walk out of here today or before you turn off your computer at home Is He my King? Is He my Lord? Do I see what He has done for me through His Son, Jesus? And have I accepted that? Have I received that gift of salvation? that protects me, that preserves me, and that will someday present me. If you can say yes to that, then you are in the family. You are the beloved of God. No matter how many times you fall, listen to me, church family, you get back up and you keep running you don't let the enemy keep you down. You don't let him tell you you're not saved, that you're not worthy, that you shouldn't try. You get up and you keep running after the one who ran after you. He didn't quit on you. So don't you quit on him. If you're here today or you're watching online and you can't say, man, Jesus has saved me He's my protector. He's my presenter. And he is, he's my defender. He is my Lord. He is my King. If you cannot say that today, then let me tell you, you're standing on your own. And it says that the full wrath of God remains on you. And someday when you take your last breath, and let me tell you, there will be a day says that you will stand before this God that we've just talked about on your own and the full wrath of God will be upon you because you did not receive the free gift of his son and he will look at you and he will say depart from me I never knew you says that you will spend all of eternity separated from him in a place called hell so if you're here today he's not your king and he's not your lord then he will not protect you he will not preserve you and he will not present you that day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that you're the only God who saves. Father, I'm praying for my friends that are under the sound of my voice. God, send out your word. Let it do in their hearts and their lives what only you can do. By your word and by your spirit, God, to call those who are lost and far from you to salvation. May they see you for who you are and may they surrender their lives to you so that they may be protected, preserved, and someday presented blameless in your glory. We ask all this in Jesus' name.